Uh, it leaves me with uh, one final task, uh, which is to introduce Gareth, who will be speaking to us. Gareth's been doing a wonderful job at holding down the fort while everyone else is away. Um, Gareth, let me pray for you, and then we'll uh, hear God's word. Jesus, uh, thank you for Gareth. Uh, we thank you that um, you have filled him with uh, your wisdom and your guidance today. We pray that, um, that your word would uh, flow um, through him uh, and into our hearts and into our minds. Amen. Thank you so much, Jamie. Good morning, everybody. Uh, what we're doing today is we're just going to continue working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're still in Matthew chapter 13. And just a quick reminder for those who have maybe been away, Jesus is sitting in a boat, and he's got this great crowd gathered around him to hear him speak, and he's speaking to them using parables. Uh, he's taking, as we know, an earthly story, and a story that they would have been very familiar with, and he's giving it this heavenly meaning, wanting them to consider something. He's trying to get them to understand what the kingdom of God is really like. He wants to change their understanding of what they think it's all about. And two weeks ago, and you can hear his talk, Timmy spoke about the parable, parable of the sower. And he shared how God's people grow at different rates. But it all depends on how we respond to God's word. And the greater the obedience, the greater the growth. And last week we spoke about the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And we looked at the difference between the good seed that Jesus plants into our lives and we compared it with the evil seed that the devil sows. And today we're looking at the third and fourth parable Jesus tells. There's seven in all in the chapter 13. And today it's the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. But I'm going to be focusing really on the mustard seed today. And just so you know, there are some differences of opinion as to what people think this is, means. And so what I just encourage you to do is to go away and dig into it for yourselves and see what you get from it. Because this story, uh, unlike the other two that we've read, there isn't an interpretation that Jesus gives. So go away, dig into it and see what you get as well. Um, but I've asked Yvonne this morning to come and read the scripture to us. So please welcome Yvonne up. before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Hear the word of our Lord. 
Thank you, everyone. Heavenly Father, we just pray for ears to hear this morning. Amen. I've got a little sore back, so forgive me if I look a little bit uncomfortable. Um, uh, yeah. There are certain things I don't like to wait for in life. I don't know about you. If I arrive at the underground station and you see the doors closing and you miss your train, I find that frustrating, even though there's only a couple of minutes to wait for the next train. I get frustrated if I choose the wrong queue in Sainsbury's, the checkout queue, and the ones next to me go quicker. And if I leave church and I just want to run across the road, but I can't because there's traffic, I get frustrated knowing I've got to walk all the way to that green man and press the button and wait. And I don't like queuing for rides at the theme park either. don't know about you. But a recent experience at Alton Towers, I've learned that sometimes it's better to be patient and to wait and that my ideas are not always the best and I sometimes need to learn from others. I took my kids to Alton Towers and we queued for about 30 minutes for a ride and as we got to the front we suddenly heard the news, this ride is no longer working, you need to go to another ride. I know, rather than walk back patiently with the crowds, I thought I'd have a good idea to climb the fence and to beat the crowds to the next ride. So my kids jumped over the fence and then it was my turn and I climbed the fence and I got stuck at the top of the fence. I couldn't swing my leg over because it was uneven and I just couldn't lift it high enough. So I'm stuck at the top of this fence with my kids just staring at me in embarrassment. But then to make matters worse, next to where I climbed over, there was actually a gate and this woman, she walked to the gate and she opened the gate, looked up at me, smiled and walk past when he's stuck at the top of this fence. Um, I've learned a good lesson. So a lot of these parables we've been reading are about waiting, and they're about things not necessarily happening when we want it or how we would like it to happen. And Jesus is saying, do you have ears to hear something different? Can you see what the kingdom of God is actually all about? And this first parable that we read is much like that about a mustard seed, a tiny, tiny mustard seed. The smallest seed, it says, but it wasn't. Um, it was just used as an example of that, something they would have been familiar with. See, the mustard seed was often used as an example when someone was describing something small and insignificant. And Jesus is using the mustard seed to describe what the kingdom of God was like. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like this small grain of mustard seed, which a man took and he planted into his field. And those listening would have been in shock. They'd have been struggling to understand this. And they'll be thinking, well, you're telling us this kingdom that we've been waiting for isn't going to be this large seed that's going to come in and take over everything immediately. But it's actually this seemingly small, insignificant seed that will slowly grow over time. It would have been hard for them. Because of the Israelites, they were being suppressed by the Romans. They were waiting and hoping for a Messiah to come. But they were waiting for a Messiah who would descend in, defeat the Romans, set them free, and build a kingdom right there and then in their day. They didn't want to wait. They were not wanting a tiny mustard seed that you could barely see that seemed small and insignificant. But they had this wrong understanding of what the kingdom of God was really like. Even the disciples were struggling with this idea as well. And Jesus was trying to get them to see something different saying, have you got ears to hear? Can you see what I'm saying? See, Jesus was saying the kingdom of God was actually, is this small seed, which a man took and he planted in his garden. However, as soon as this one tiny seed was planted, 
what happened, it began to grow and it began to expand and it kept growing until it became the greatest to the point where the birds could come and perch on its branches. And if we look at the life and the journey of Jesus, we can see that he is the mustard seed. He is this seed that was planted and he is this seed that has kept growing and it's kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. See this seemingly insignificant seed, it was dropped very, very carefully in the exact place where God wanted it to start growing. And where did he begin? It began in Jerusalem, um, Bethlehem, sorry, in the most unlikeliest of places. Mary and Joseph, they arrived in Bethlehem, didn't they? Nowhere to stay, no guest house available for them. They eventually found a place which was most likely in a downstairs room where their animals were kept by their owners. And it was in this place that Mary gave birth to Jesus. It was in that room where that single tiny mustard seed began to grow. And it began to grow and to reach out to the most unlikeliest of people, a group of shepherds. In a field, watching over their flocks, invited to come and see Jesus. They went and they saw and they went and they told others. But on the outside, it continued to look really insignificant, didn't it, as Jesus grew up. Where did he grow up? In a tiny town called Nazareth of about 400 people. Nazareth was seen as a town of people who were inferior, who weren't good, or would never make it in life. John chapter 1, Nathaniel asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? And that was the general opinion people had about Nazareth and those that came from there. But this is where God placed his seed. And this is where the seed was growing. And if you skip forward to the start of Jesus' ministry, you see that the seed was growing. And it continued to grow in ways that you could not have imagined. Jesus picked 12 disciples to follow. Not the most powerful, not the richest, not the most, one with the most influence, but as we're told in Acts, 12 unschooled, ordinary men. And Jesus took them and he traveled around with them. And he went to the most unlikeliest of places for this seed to grow. He went and he met those who were weak. He met those who were being rejected. He met the outcasts. He met those no one wanted to touch, those no one wanted to go near. And so this small, seemingly insignificant seed was growing. And it was beginning to become the greatest of trees. And it was even growing the day when Jesus entered Jerusalem to be crucified. Didn't it? The crowd still hoping for that Messiah to come in and be that warrior king. But what happened, Steve Dodd does a sermon on this, really good, if you can go back and see it. But he tells us about actually Jesus, he went through the East Gate. The complete opposite gate to what a leader would go through. He went on his own, on, unarmed, on a donkey that he borrowed. This seed was still growing. God was still at work. Even when the disciples deserted him, when the Romans nailed him to the cross and placed him in a tomb, this seed was still growing. And it continued to grow the moment 120 followers went to a room, began to pray and wait on God. And then on their Pentecost, something happened. This seed began to grow very quickly when 3,000 people suddenly responded to this message. And then the devil, he tried everything he could to um, stop this message from growing, didn't he? He um, first, he arrested the apostles. That didn't work, so then he beat the apostles. He then killed Stephen. He then sent a persecution against the church, which scattered them all over Judea and Samaria. But what was happening? The seed was growing even more, and it was now becoming a tree. 
A tree which then allowed the birds of the air to find shelter, birds to build their nests. This gospel message was now spreading out to the Gentiles. And that's where we are, because we're a part of this, because this seed is still growing today. And birds are continuing to perch on these branches. And that is us. We're a part of that. If you have invited Jesus into your life, you are in this tree. And so I didn't want to talk for long today because what I wanted to do was just bring a couple of people up to let them share their stories and to hear where they have come from and how they ended up in this tree. So I've invited Kirst to come first and Moira as well to come and share with us. So Kirst, thank you. Morning, church. Um, I did write this down because otherwise I probably could talk a lot. Um, now the question is, will it open? Here we go. Ready. So my story starts before I was born. Um, I was, uh, my mum is a teacher and she struggled to fall pregnant. And so when she was pregnant with me, she didn't know. And the school were offering German measles inoculations. And she was given one and didn't know that she was pregnant. And a contraindication to German measles inoculations is not to be pregnant <laughs> when you have one. And so she was, when she found out, she was extremely concerned um, because the contraindication meant that I could possibly be born blind um, or with some very severe disabilities. And she prayed at that point. And my mum was not a Christian, so she prayed and she was like, God, if you have a purpose for my child's life, please can you intervene here? And as you can see, I was born, mostly normal. Um, and, and so my life started at that point. Now my parents were not well, they were nominal Christians, as in it was part of the culture of our, of our family. We went to church, but I don't think there was anything in terms of a personal faith. And um, as I grew up, um, we had a very nice set of neighbors, some lovely Baptist ladies, who decided to hold um, a Bible study for local children in the neighborhood. And when I was seven, that was the first time I really understood who Jesus was. And that was probably where I probably made my first commitment to Jesus. And those ladies were the first people to give me a Bible. Um, and my mum said to me now, obviously looking back over my life, she said, I've always felt that God had your, his hand on your life. And I remember those ladies who used to do that Bible study. And she said, I'm very sure that that was an outcome of the prayer that I prayed in the beginning, which was, please, can you save my baby and make sure that she's okay? And so, I know, I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to go year by year in my life. <laughs> but but there, there is a process to this. Um, when, we were, when I was nine, we moved city a couple of thousand kilometers away. And... When, when I was, when we were, where we were living, we were going to Sunday school. My, my dad was very much dedicated to his baptiz baptismal vows to when he promised to look after us and raise us as Christians. So he used to take us to Sunday school to get a break from us. And, and so, so he did the same thing when we moved to Cape Town and he um, went to find a church. And it was kind of local to where we'd, we were thinking of moving and he went into the church and at the front door, the vicar introduced himself, my dad introduced himself. And later on, you know, an hour and a half later, when they were doing commun communion at the rail, my dad said, I remember him looking at me and going, 
Gareth, the body of Christ. And he said, I was so profoundly impacted by the fact that this man who had just met me for a couple of seconds at the front door remembered my name. So much so that he brought my mum and the rest of our family. And through that act, our whole family became saved. All of us were able to make a commitment to Jesus, including my mum, who wasn't, was more wanting to have a break on a Sunday morning from the ch children rather than coming to church. Um, and, and that was part of the process of, of growing up. Now, I'm not going to go year by year, but as I grew up in church, um, I got involved in um, our children's church. We were the first girls to be altar servers because I grew up in a sort of middling Anglican church. And, um, and then I grew up leading youth church, leading worship, um, and doing a number of different sort of leadership roles. I was a good Christian girl growing up. And then I moved to London <laughs> at the end of my 20s. And the first thing that I thought about when I moved to London was to make sure that I had a community. So I looked around for a church to make sure that I wasn't, I didn't want to get sucked into the, what the London life is, I think, probably. I just wanted to make sure that I had a community of friends um, who were, who had the same values and beliefs as I did. And I got very involved in, a, in another church and really enjoyed it. And then had a delayed adolescence. <laughs> my early, in my early 30s where I just kind of, I think probably I'd been good all my life and I just kind of wanted to know what it was like not to be very good. Don't worry, I didn't do anything particularly bad, but just, just wanted to see what it was like, I think. Um, and then unfortunately, um, in my early 30s, um, I was assaulted and that took a huge knock on my faith. And I was thinking about this mustard seed that Gareth was preaching about and how um, in that moment when I was assaulted and I didn't understand how this could have happened to me and all the violence that I had to deal with and the police and all the other things was that in that moment I still knew God was real. Even though I didn't feel like God is real, I didn't understand why that had happened to me, I still knew knew, knew, sorry, I'm going to get a bit teary, um, that God was real. But it did take me a little while to recover from that, and it took me a little while uh, to trust being around men again, and that had an impact on the next bit of the story, which was um, two years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. And, um, sorry, Katie Lang said she's going to be the beaming face to me. Um, and one of the side effects of being diagnosed with cancer is that um, they, wouldn't, they, wouldn't be, they weren't able to offer me um, fertility preservation. So within a few weeks of being diagnosed, I was told I couldn't, have I couldn't ever have children. So not only was I having to deal with the consequences of a cancer diagnosis, but also mourning and grieving. Um, Losing, losing the ability to have children. Now I know, practically, I was in my 40s, the chances of me having kids was probably quite low, but there's a difference between choosing not to have children and having that choice taken away from you. And so I can still say now that I haven't recovered from that emotional yet. You can still see I'm a bit shaky. And I still feel that it's incredibly cruel. I feel that's what I feel. 
but I still know that God is real. And that's one of the hardest things to balance those two things together. But when I was writing this and I was thinking about how I would tell this part of the story without making it all feel a little bit too depressing, um, I was reminded of a note that I had on my phone, um, which I entitled Little Miracles, um, to remind me in the awfulness of the whole process that there were moments of God. And the first one was that I had had long COVID. So that was the reason how they, that was how they found the cancer. So they would have not found it, or I wouldn't have found it until it was too late maybe. And I would maybe be standing here or I'd be in a much worse position. So ironically, long COVID saved me. <laughs> the second miracle was, this is another COVID miracle, <laughs> is that I was, so when I was being diagnosed, it was in the middle of COVID. Um, and one of my housemates was diagnosed with cancer, I mean, <laughs> with COVID, sorry. And um, I needed to go to the hospital for tests to find out whether it was cancer or not. And I spoke to my friend Katie Lang and she was like, come and stay with us. Because I couldn't go to the hospital if someone in the house was co had COVID because we had to um, isolate. And so I went to stay with the Lang's for, the, for a couple of weeks to allow me to go and have these, these tests. And Katie was there the day I came out of the hospital after having a biopsy and all of the scans. And she was the person who coached me through cancer. Here's the third little miracle. Katie Lang is an oncology nurse. And she knew exactly what to say. She knew exactly what was going on. She understood all of the doctor's nonsense, all their words, all of the, um, the, the language that I couldn't understand. And so that was another miracle that I was able to know, about, to, to know that God had my back. And Katie has been amazing since then. She's been, she was there when I was diagnosed. She was there when, with the consultants, who was probably not the best bedside manner in the world. <laughs> um, and she was there when, um, when I was really struggling and hoping that my mum could come over. And then that was the fourth miracle. It was, South Africa had been red listed and no one was allowed to come from South Africa. And we had to pray very hard that the Home Office would allow my mom to get a visa to come through to, to, the, to the UK. And I was able to speak to a very kind man in the Home Office who really understood that this was, a, this was real. It's not me just trying to get around the rules. And my mom was able to come and live with me for nine months. So, that, that's all to say. When you think about the, the parable of the mustard seed and how a seed can grow... I think I'm still now reaping the benefits of the years of sowing that people sowed into my life, the prayers that were sowed into my life as a child, as a young person, the times that I'd spent with God myself, and the growth that I'd been able to have through my own walk with Jesus. So that now, while I'm still struggling a little bit and maybe still worrying about whether God is real or not sometimes, I know, I know. I know that he is. And so the, my last point, Dora, I did write this down. Um, in, the parab in the story of Jesus, when you look at the, him walking on the road to Emmaus, there's a bit about how he walks alongside the disciples and they're complaining about the fact that Jesus is gone and they don't know where he is. And um, 
And then right at the end, they get to a point and Jesus breaks bread and they're like, oh, it was him all along. And so that's the part I'm praying for for my journey, is that I'm currently on the road to Emmaus going, what happened, God? How did all of these horrible things happen? Why am I in this position? And then I will have a moment of revelation that God was always there along the way. And I think today is that day. I think by being asked to share my testimony, sometimes you actually reflect back and go, yes, he was. He was there all along. Thanks for listening. a packed church 
the people I had worshipped with for very many years, I could hear my vicar, Andy, quietly, kindly and gently saying to me, is there anything I'd like to say? I could see my mother in the congregation, calm and confident. Her visit to London was very rare. Uh, my mother suffers from neurological difficulties and dementia, you know, to increasingly today. I was handed the microphone and I began to speak. And in that moment, I felt the calling into ministry. It was a moment of exquisite clarity, very quickly followed by, but how, Lord, you know, how do people train in ministry? At that time, I was working full-time in the NHS, often 12-hour days, fully engaged in clinical work with children and families, Bearer head of psychology and psychotherapy, um, East London-wide NHS lead multi-agency for multi-agency services across East London. As in most things spiritual, God's timing is not always clear to any of us. And I did not progress, poor progress as quickly in the ministry as I would have preferred. But I recognized that, as Kirsten said, the Lord's hand was upon me and, and inevitably challenges came as they do in all of our lives. Yet, as for all, we need only say one word, which is yes. And from the tiniest mustard seed, from the disciples in the locked room at Pentecost, as with Samuel, whatever your calling, your unique journey happens to be, all we need say is, here I am, Lord, send me. God's love transforms seamlessly, pervasively and gradually in every tiny part of our being. As the Birad used to say, it reaches parts nothing else can reach. In merciful forgiveness, I had an image of Christ running towards me in a street in Whitechapel and I went to meet him. And we are all invited to do so every and each day invited to grow in love, in relationship, together, immersed in the word and the sacrament, keeping our eyes fixed on the window behind me, which I've been looking at since I arrived at St. Paul's, fixed on our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, amen. If the band likes to come up, I'm just going to close with this last bit. God's kingdom, it does, it continues to grow every day and we've heard that today. It's growing right now in focus in the tents, 
in the fields, and it's grown right here in Tower Hamlets in the smallest and most hidden of places. And there are birds that still need to build their nests in this branches of the mustard seed, of this great tree. And so we're called to go out and we're called to invite people to be a part of this and to build their homes on this tree. When Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip replied, come and see. And what did Nathaniel do? He got up and he went to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he declared, you are the son of God. And we're called to go out and do the same. We're called to go to those around us and say, come and see who Jesus really is.